You're listening to The Outspoken Bible, a podcast from Scottish Bible Society with Fiona Stewart, Neil Glover and Jen Robertson. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 3 of The Outspoken Bible. I'm Fiona Stewart. I'm joined by Neil Glover and Jen Robertson. Hello to you both. Hi. Hello, Fiona, and happy birthday. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you. Not today, but it was, it was, it was earlier. It's yes. the first time I've seen yes. you since. I know, I know. Well, I had a very nice weekend. You, you, had, a you had a season of festivities. A season. Um, to be honest, I'm kind of still in my season of festivities. You've got some left. <laughs> it's hard turning 40. So, uh... <laughs> I sent you a card, Fiona. You did, Jen. Thank you for that. Thank you. I had a big shout out to anybody else who sent me anything. <laughs> <laughs> which, is, which is not me. <laughs> I'm now feeling... <laughs> And just for the avoidance of doubt, I'm not. I've not turned forty. <laughs> Anyhow, um, Neil, Jen, and I actually met in real life last week. Oh, did you? We were, yeah, we were planning a journey together. And when I say a journey, we were really thinking about an imaginary journey for the SBS Christmas resources. Yeah, so, we? we were having a lovely time, and we sat at a table together and we ate food together. I was in Fiona's home. Did you you any accidentally at any point say, "Oh, sorry, is my microphone working?" Or could you (laughs) could you make sure turn towards me when you're talking or something? It it was quite nice just to be able to have a conversation without having to be kind of checking if the person stopped speaking before you started talking. It was good. good. (laughs) Jen, is there anything you want to say about the Christmas stuff for for listeners? Yes, please. Um, Christmas journeys is going to be called this year. If you remember Christmas windows last year, it's similar to that, but even better. Uh, there'll be seven activity cards in the pack, which will help us explore the Christmas story for families. And it'll take us maybe to parts of the Christmas story that we don't usually engage with, like Jesus being a refugee when he and his family family fled to Egypt. And alongside that is going to be a fantastic Christmas map. And we're going to stick stars on the different parts of the Christmas story that we imagine on our inner imagination journey to. And also we're going to have stories from around the world from current or recent history of people who still are meeting God through the Bible. I think that's probably enough. But a lovely lovely pack of family activities for Christmas, exploring the Christmas story together. And an excellent family podcast. Well, let's hope so. It will be. (laughs) We know know it will be to help you through that exploration. Exactly. Exactly. Well, that's that's interesting. In the meantime, we're continuing. Is this another podcast that you're going to be doing, Fiona? Well, yes. It's a a follow on from a previous podcast, which was the Christmas Windows one last year. Maybe not come across that deal. It's, it's aimed at probably a slightly younger generation. I, 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 lose, got a, I lose track. Yeah, family, I've got a younger, family a young, podcast. Yeah, family, family podcast. I ha, I've got a few young fans who came around to my garden last year to, to meet with me. Because they'd heard you in, on the <laughs> yeah, podcast. Yeah. It was nice. We had hot chocolate. It was when you couldn't come into each other's houses. We had hot chocolate you, in the garden. Do you have a policy of being nice to fans? Oh, of course. <laughs> Si- Simon filled. Mayo doesn't sign autographs on his doorstep, but everywhere else he's nice. Oh, well, that's fair, isn't it? I mean, it's not a problem up till now, you know, apart from apart from last Christmas, it's not a problem I've actually had, but yes. I don't, I don't think Fiona has a policy of being nice. She just is. She just is nice. Yeah. This is so... Honestly, are you all going to stop being nice to me after it's my birthday? <laughs> anyway, today we're continuing with Series 3, and just for the avoidance of doubt, it is Series 3, not Series 4. I think I mistyped it somewhere at one point and got people a bit confused. Uh, we're continuing Rebuilding the Rubble, Reminders of Return, Recovery, and Reimagination. And today we are going to be discussing Haggai, all of it, all two chapters. <laughs> Now, there are a couple of things to mention before that. First is, this is actually very exciting. We've actually had an email to hey. outspoken at scottishbiblesociety.org. To the actual email address. And I have to say, Jen and Neil, before we started, I said, oh, guess what? We've had an email. And you both correctly guessed that our first email came from our good friend, William Wilson of Burnside Blair Beth Church. Now, he doesn't say this, but I think he was actually quite tickled to be mentioned previously. And I'm going to read out his email to us. So he does, he's just finished listening to season three, episode one. Well done as ever. That's nice, isn't it? And it said, he does mention that he wasn't actually crying in his study. That was after Jen, remember you'd forgotten that he preached I'd on it. I'd forgotten everything. he says i can regularly preach on a series and forget anything but the haziest outline which is scary as we've got a friend who not only remembers what was preached but the precise occasion um now he's got a book recommendation for us so he says as far as book recommendations go Derek kidner in the tyndall series is always excellent and he also says that he's really looking forward to the rest of the series very good 
I have to say I agree with him. I think Derek Kidner is a great writer in the Old Testament. I really like him. Well done. Um, I had an email. Mm -hmm. It's going to be anonymous for obvious reasons, but it was sent to me by a medical profession professional. And uh, I don't know if you remember in the last podcast, uh, there was a little bit of discussion about Zephaniah, the prophet. Yes. So this is relevant to this. Hi, Neil. Listening to your podcast while at work and just wrote, open quotes, prescribed Zephaniah for back pain, close quotes. (laughs) (laughs) Love that. Keep the conversation going. Do join in. You can email us at outspoken at scottishbiblesociety.org or, of course, via SBS social media or uh, send us an email. Uh, now, while we're on the topic of resources, we were talking about that earlier, Jen, with the Christmas stuff. Uh, listeners might have been aware that An End to the Darkness, the new story podcast, is finally out. I think I've talked about this before. That is the podcast built around the story of Job. And you can find that on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and obviously via the SBS website. And there's going to be a printed study guide that uh, is created to accompany that. So that features the entire book of Job. It's got a daily reading plan. There are Bible studies on, I think, 10 key passages within Job. Excellent, low-cost resource for individuals and small groups and churches uh, who are wanting to read through and engage with the book of Job. Jen, you've been listening, I think. I've just started listening, mm-hmm. listened to two episodes. Firstly, it was very gripping. Now, sometimes you put on a podcast and, well, I don't know, maybe it's just me. I've, I've just like, I've disappeared somewhere else in my thinking after a few minutes. But that didn't happen. And I, and I love, there's a lovely contrast going on, I, I presume this is planned, Fiona, of, uh, of your voice, which, which is more the kind of storytelling aspect, and then these other voices that are, you know, what's going on here? Why is this so difficult? And so I haven't listened to that much, but what I'm listening to, I'm, it, it's hitting me really in a, you know, sort of a holistic kind of way and keeping me mm-hmm. focused. So I'm looking forward to the next few episodes. Great. How many episodes Great. are there? There are 10 episodes altogether. And I think by the time this podcast goes out, certainly they will all be available yeah. to listen to either um in a separated way or, or altogether. Now, there's no starter question today because we've waffled on quite a lot so far, but it is time for Glover's Off. Glover's Off this week is based on two encounters I've had in the last two days. Yesterday, I was at a wedding. Uh, by the way, as an aside, COVID weddings have just been beautiful, really intimate, wonderful affairs. In fact, the reception was at the same place that you were at a wedding. Uh, if I'm allowed to say, it's Ballantaggart Hotel. Oh, uh, beautiful. Yeah, really nice, uh, just yeah. south of uh, Grantley. And we were there, and the people I was sat next to on a big long table, both of them worked for the Forestry Commission down in England in Southampton. Now, I have an image of the Forestry Commission, which is plant lots of spruce, let them grow for 30, 40 years, and then come in with a stack of chainsaws and chop them all down and sell them as timber. Oh, how wrong I am. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, he looked at me. He said, oh, that's what it was in the 1970s and 80s. You know, kind of disdainfully, like every single time I walk past a Forestry Commission site, I could guarantee 100% of the time there's a massive spruce forest behind it. Anyway, he says it's all changed. It's all about biodiversity now. It's all Uh, about 80% of trees are deciduous. It's about managing water coming off. It's about making sure that species can thrive. He's very worried about the decline of ash and fungi, uh, but apparently we're going to lose 80% of our ash trees. Uh, Is that because of ash dieback? Is is that the name? It's a a kind of fungus, I think. Is that right? I think it might be. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. He was very worried by that. Then today, I had a meeting with Forestry and Land Scotland up uh, in Weem Rock because the sign had appeared next to a favourite swing saying we're going to take this down. And we went, me and the community, I contacted the guy, the community council, we all met with the forestry guy who manages the forest. And I got there before everybody else did because there was a mix up. And uh, I said to him, I was with someone yesterday and I told them my impression of the Forestry Commission was that you planted lots of spruce and chopped them down in 40 years. I might as well have handed him a a bowl of cold vomit, the disdain they looked at me. And he said, he said, that's not like that's what it was in the 1970s and 80s. And I repeated my line, well, if you have all these forests with spruce next to them, what else am I meant to think? Henry said, yeah, it's all about managing deciduous trees. And for him, the big thing is about managing visitor interaction. He says it's gone through the roof since COVID. Mm-hmm. It's been an absolute huge challenge for them about managing the number of people coming in to forests. 
and it got me thinking about the Bible and forests. There's actually very, very few. The first mention is in Deuteronomy, where it says if two of you happen to go into a forest to chop wood and the blade of the axe comes off and hits the other one, what are you going to do? Uh, there's also the battle with David against Absalom in Second Samuel, where um, as the forest is a dangerous place, as many um, people die through the sword, as die um, going into trees, basically. It's seen as quite a dangerous, threatening place. But I wondered about all these people uh, going back into the forest post-COVID. All the, the, the job of this guy here is to manage people coming into the forest with all its diversity. And I think it's about a return to Eden. That's my that's my theory. It's a designed to be away from the place of the field and a designed to go back to our early wildness. There is a memory of Eve and of Adam deep within us. And when we go back to the forest, we go there to have it reawakened. So that's my glovers off. And well done to the Forestry Commission for making our forests a bit like a bit less like timber factories and a bit more like the biodiversity of Eden. Wow, there you go. Excellent. Excellent. I thought you were going to talk about Narnia there. Oh. It's a forest. Yeah, what's the forest in Narnia again? I, I'm not a massive uh, Narnia authority, but Jane is. They go into the the forest from the wardrobe, in the line, the witch in the wardrobe. Does it have and a then name? in the magician. I think it probably does, but I, the deep I, wood or something? Yeah, I think it is something like the deep wood. Any Narnia fans? Was it outspoken? The Great Woods. Our lovely producer Amy has just popped Great Woods <laughs> into the chat. <laughs> Great. That was interesting. An interesting clever's off there. I, I was thinking about the Cedars of Lebanon. Yeah, I was wondering about that. Yes. Yeah. I was actually also thinking about the fact that I guess within the, the Middle East there's not a lot an awful lot of forestry. No, no, the, it's it's much rarer. Yeah, but yeah, the Cedars of Lebanon are kind of the, the great forest that you get. Yeah. In the, Interesting. used to build the temple well thank you very much Neil and uh, can I also just say well done for getting the name of the section the section right as well Glovers off well you know if you can get the name of the season right and the number of <laughs> chapters and I right, then I'll attempt to get the name of my section I still haven't, right I still haven't looked at the Levitical laws by the way right so anyway we're moving on <laughs> to our main section you're sounding almost proud of it now I know I know exactly determinedly not doing it um, yeah so I wanted to first of all say hi guys it's hi guy today. Thank you very much. Thank you. So we're following on from our conversation on the first six chapters of Ezra last time, and we're going to jump into the prophet Haggai because he sort of fits historically at that point. Yep. And the title for today's episode is Rebuilding Right, and maybe we'll come back to why that is later on. Neil, do you want to give us a, a quick reminder of where we're at in the narrative? Yeah, so the people have arrived uh, back from Babylon in 538, first um a year of King Cyrus, who has adopted a policy of uh, honouring and looking after ethnic groupings within his, eth uh, within his empire. So they've come back. But 18 years later, things seem to have, have stalled. And on August the 29th, the year 520, the prophet Haggai appears and summons the people to begin again uh, the work. And we're, we're going to hit that now. So it's, it's like there's been one false start back in 2003, and now a prophet has appeared in 2021 and is about to tell us to try and remember what we thought we would start in 2003. Mm. Mm. Great, great. So how did we get on with, with reading that? Jen, any thoughts initially about these two chapters? Well, there's one phrase that hasn't left me since I read it, which is in verse 5, I think, of uh, chapter 1, where God says through Haggai, uh, give careful thought to your ways and it's just a few words but that sentence um impacts so many parts of our life and and in the in context it's about you know the the people had to be fair in the people i, th I think at this time you know they had problems with people who, who get correct me if i'm wrong in this historic his, historicity but um, they had problems with the people who'd remained in the land mm. around Jerusalem. So when they come back and they have to build their homes, there's these people who have claimed their lands. So they're having to deal with all that legal who owns what stuff going on. They've got criticism from other people who are not part of their community who are criticising what they're doing. And 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 so li life is hard. And they've, they've, they've been fairly well established when they were in exile. And here they are back here. So, But then in comes 
Haggai with God's words and says, you know, you've been putting all this effort into your own house and your own lands, but it's all it's all for nothing. You know, you're 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 producing mm-hmm. food and you're still hungry. You're you're drinking and you're still thirsty. You're doing all this. Your your purses have got holes in them. I think you want to talk about that. The things think the money you yeah, earn is a great lasting. phrase. Your but that phrase, holes. consider, give careful thought to your ways. I mean, I, I just feel so often in life, I kind of, oh, I need to do this and I need to do that and need to make this and I need to you know I just like stop I'm, I'm, but, I'm what am I doing is it is it what God would want me to do yeah. is it the best way of living and I, I was interested when we, when we talked about this before we we started recording you were you were talking about messy church mm-hmm. and about the way you do messy church and, and how that has been impacted by the environmental discussion yes so we our messy church is now oh, oh it's hard to, I think I think we, we definitely had a fifth birthday before covid and we had a fifth birthday cake, remember that? Because Messy Church is very celebratory. Oh, so I think we must be on six, seven, maybe this is our eighth year of Messy Church. And at the start, you know, we were very excited about it and, you know, fresh expression of church and meeting with families in a very relaxed way and doing creative things together. But I, I don't think, we didn't think about the materials we were using, the single-use plastic, glitter, which is a, t- <laughs> glitter's the hardest plastic to re- you can't recycle because it gets everywhere and we love glitter I'd like someone to produce a really good uh, environmentally friendly glitter because you get lots for makeup but not for crafts, anyway that's an aside um, so we just did it, we're very excited we were doing all this and you know we could see people's lives being touched by God but as the time's gone on uh, we've thought more and more about what we're using and, and how we can't just be living like that and running and running this messy church so but today we had a messy church uh, planning meeting and that whole thinking of what we're using giving careful thought to our ways is just part of who we are now you know every Mm -hmm. every everything we thought we would do together as a messy church family like oh what about that could we use a better material or if we're going to use some kind of plastic is it going to be a a plastic that's going to keep being used it could be reused you know so that was a very practical example of giving careful thought to your ways and also we were the but the Bible we're exploring at Messy Church is Psalm 104, which is how God has so carefully uh, created and managed the world and the balance that's in it of day and night and weather and you know and how how dare how how dare we really <laughs> um, not be careful in how and how we are using God's world and our resources while thinking about that bit of the Bible. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Because it's a it's a quite a simple um analogy but but it, it it's actually indicative of a whole thing isn't it? a whole way of mm-hmm. thinking yeah. about what our responsibility is as yeah. followers of jesus so yeah you know we, i think we've touched before in this this idea of the, the kind of new heaven new earth that it's not a, a complete doing away but a a, a a new heaven and new earth that, that comes from the existing that, that what we mm-hmm. do now matters mm-hmm. and how we live now matters yeah and, and that, that would be a a classic example of that wouldn't it that well it doesn't really matter if we use lots of plastics because what we want to do is get the message out exactly. in the best possible way but actually that that in and of itself is is not a good theology is it can i can i talk about this thing about live a watch how you live consider how you've fared because i think it it gets to a huge tension that we have to live with in the christian life what well, the the basis of Haggai's message here is it's not working for you at the moment and the reason it's not working is because you've not been obedient that's it the the whole system is not working for you at the moment you've sown much you've harvested harvested little you eat but you never have enough your whole economy is not working for you and it's because you haven't honored me and Haggai is honored because he has at this point he's the one who says now is the time to take your faithful life seriously. Now, there's this picture that Haggai gives. Do the right thing and it's going to go okay. The reason it's not doing okay is because you're doing the wrong thing. Very kind of, kind of, so reap what you sow. And it's there. That that's the heart of this book's message. And yet, we know to problematize we know that that has to be problematized it's not as simple as that yeah um, fiona yeah. you've you've done a book on job where a job says uh all the people who do the good things 
they're in trouble and all the people who do the mm -hmm. bad things, they're doing just great. Mm -hmm. um, I'm reading a book at the moment by Kate Bowler. We mentioned it recently. Everything happens for a reason and other lies I've loved. And it's, it's I hadn't realized it's, it's a, it's a biography. It's her own story. And she's telling the, the story of how she had studied and had become a, an expert in the prosperity gospel. The idea that if you do the right thing, then God will not just be fair to you, but God will rain down blessings on you. And she names, she specifically names the two probably most famous proponents of the prosperity gospel in the United States. And I'll name them now because I don't think they'd have any issue with me saying this. It's uh, Kenneth and Gloria Copeland. They drive, uh, I think they have a private jet, they have television stations, they have bookstore shelves that are full of their teachings, and they tell a story of not just God being fair, but God raining down blessings. And one night in Texas, I think this was, a tornado threatened to destroy their home. So Gloria crept in the night to their porch to face down the storm. They prayed loud and long that God would protect their property and for good measure commanded God to protect their neighbour houses too. And so they said the storm turned and went another way. And Kate Bowler says, it's an image I cannot forget. Two of the world's wealthiest Christians shaking their fists at the sky, protesting to God of the fair. After all, what father, when his child asked for bread, would not give him a stone? And she says, we can laugh at the Kenneth Copelands of this world, but we've actually all bought into this prosperity gospel in some way. Do the right thing and you'll be okay. And yet we know all the difficulties with it. But there is still a truth there. There is something about when we honour our faith seriously, there is goodness there that lasts. It, it might be the life of Job. It might be the life of Paul, which was beset with difficulty and failure. Ultimately, it's the life of Jesus, which ends on cross. If we take faith seriously, God honours that in ways which are mysterious but do happen. And similarly, if we are lax with faith, then life does have an emptiness, this image of the bag with holes. I think I think of our and I think of my own denomination, which I know very well, which is the Church of Scotland. So I'll simply speak from the space of that. I, I know many of our listeners are not in the Church of Scotland. Um when I look, I can see where churches have taken faith seriously. There is a legacy there. And when the history of church has, has primarily been one of being a social club or a place of respectability, very often it does look like a bag of holes. And people might say, oh, you're generalizing or so on. But I've seen it in so many different cases where people have taken faith seriously in a place. There is a legacy. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jozadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your panelled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages, only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house, so that I may take pleasure in it and be honoured, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why? declares the Lord Almighty. Because of my house, 
which remains a ruin while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I mean, I think there's there's a couple of things there that, that I was wanted to pick up in, in the course of today. One is about the holiness question. So, so how is holiness aligned to worship and and um, success? I'm trying not to use the prosperity word. Uh, the second thing I think would be interesting to explore actually is how, how do we then take a text like this and not just interpret it quite crassly? So not just quite glibly say, oh, well, it says that in Ezra, okay, we're living post-resurrection, but nonetheless, what does it tell us about the pandemic? Have we spent too much time doing DIY in our houses and putting extensions on? So maybe can we can we go with that first of all, and then come back to holiness? How do we how do we avoid misinterpreting, and or how do we avoid avoid glibly interpreting what we read? I think it needs it's about taking time over these words. Not that not not that some people who would be glib about it, maybe they have taken time, but um, what struck me just when. Neil and your and Fiona, you've both been talking. Is that these people, they they did have stuff and they had food, they had houses, they had things to drink. But it, it was their internal feeling that was wrong. It, it, so is 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 that unless you take time thinking about that, um, and maybe I'm answering the holiness question more than the not taking it glibly, but maybe they're both intertwined. Because it's not it's not the stuff that's the problem; it's their mm-hmm. internal contentedness, or their. I mean, maybe you know we would use words like well being and things, but it's more than that. It's our connection with God, our relationship with God, feeling the feeling of rightness when we're right with God and right with each other, perhaps. And and what matters to you? It's these houses. Mm-hmm. I. I think it's a cause. It certainly what Haggai seems to do is he provokes examination. And and he seems to be the right person at the right time. I I was in an I'm I'm deliberately about to tell a story, but it's very anonymized so for reasons which will become obvious as I tell the story. I was in another place on Saturday. There we go. Um, and it's a place where I know some of the people, and I got talking to somebody who works um, in the world of property for a particular individual, and that individual owns stacks of property and and does it up and does very very well and i found myself being quite jealous of this individual who has all the property um i wanted to be them i wanted to have the nice paneled houses to use the word of haggai today i got given the message but that person who i was very very envious of has just died. They died in an accident. And all that, I couldn't help but think of that parable that Jesus tells of the guy who has all the barns and then that night his life is demanded of him. But it spoke to me and said, Neil, you were desperate to be that guy. You'd seen it. I'd I'd seen him a few weeks ago. What would you have done to tell him that he was in the last few weeks of his whole life? And I think to myself, how much have I bought into the value system of my culture, which particularly around my part of the world is massively about houses and having a nice house and buying a nice view. And I think Haggai the prophet cuts into that and says, people, look at your values and how the temple is disregarded is a warning to you about where your values are. This really speaks to me actually very deeply to do lots of things in my life at the moment and says, where are your values? Are you trusting God? Um, and it's not a prosperity gospel as such, It's but it is saying that life without being oriented towards God has a, it's that bag of holes again. It has a kind of emptiness to it, has a weakness to it, it has a, a flimsiness to it. It lacks weight. The Hebrew word for weight is is uh, glory. It lacks glory. 
And is it is it glory that at the end of Haggai, when the the prophetic Haggai's prophesying about the future and the this person that will be the signet ring of God is is the word glory not tied up with that promise as well? Yeah, I think I read that. There's a there's a real warning, isn't there? Because on one on one sense, these books all happen because Darius has has come good uh, in this uh, chapter. But that, by the way, is why we can um, date it. Um, but but yeah, the, even at the end of the chapter, chapter two says Darius looked after us. End of chapter two, the whole thing is going to be shaken up. That this system of empire and of power, which you love, is God holds it in its hand. Also remember the prophecy of, or the word of um, George MacLeod, who was the leader of the Iona community. And at the height of uh, the nuclear armament, uh, the nuclear standoff between Russia and America, as it was in those days, uh, or the USSR in the 1960s, he famously spoke at the General Assembly. And he used a phrase which seems pretty trite and pretty kind of, well, that's just what churchy people say. But apparently when he used it in the General Assembly of the Church of Scotland, it really, really struck people. And the phrase was, God holds Mr. Khrushchev and Mr. Kennedy in the small of his hand. It was that phrase, the small of his hand. And something boof, just resonated with people. It gave people a picture mm -hmm. of the grandeur of God and the mm -hmm. smallness of mm -hmm. the world's kingdoms, even nuclear powers in the hands of God. Mm. And I think Haggai's word here at the end, in some ways it's just words, but there must have been something about the way he said it. There must have been something about the way he embodied it, that when he said, God says, I'm going to overthrow the kingdoms, destroy the strength of kingdoms, overthrow the chariots and riders. On that day, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, son of Shelter. I'll make you like a signet ring, for I've chosen you, says the Lord of the angel arms. People believed it and saw suddenly the power systems of this world in the context of God. Mm -hmm. And it, in, following on from the, the question that stimulated all of this, it, it's interesting, isn't it? I, I've been thinking today a lot about the, the tax affairs of the influential mm, in the world yeah. mm. and the, um, the question around uh, benefit cuts that have, have happened in the, the day that we're recording. Um, I was on thought for the day this morning and I was talking about the Pharisees. This is the, the tax £10 pound cut. And, the twenty pound, twenty pound uplifters, yeah, uh huh, um, and and contrasting that with the the Pandora Papers that have yeah. have just been um, released, which which evidence so much finagling <laughs> going on, I, and I think, you know, I think we sit in that place, don't we, as as people who who see the truth and know the truth, and have a responsibility to call out the truth, but but that happens when you look into yourself as well. And and look for those. Just I mean, I was very challenged by what you you said there, Neil, about being you know being impacted by this yourself as as we're talking. Um, you know, we need to start in the, in the place of of recognizing our own um, failings in all of this. I think too, but also having that 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 sense that comes out in those those last verses that that the sovereignty of God is such that the majesty of God is such that that the, the global impact of people's tax decisions and human power is nothing compared to who God is. Interesting. Give careful thought to your ways. Give careful thought to your ways. Mm -hmm. And so to the second question, which is around holiness, I think, I mean, we've already touched on a lot of this in, in what we've just said. There is there is a reminder here, isn't isn't there, of, the, of yeah, like you say, Jen, considering our ways, thinking mm -hmm. about how we're doing things as well as what we're doing. Do we lift that and take it? Can we put application into our current situation, do you think? Well, I've, as we've been chatting, I've been concerned that people may be listening to this and thinking that um, I do consider my ways, I, I want to be close to God, I spend time with God, I spend time with God's people, I spend time with the Bible, um, and my life feels like the people in Jerusalem. I feel like... Um, I, I do lots of things and there's no satisfaction. I eat nice meals and I don't 
I don't feel that that was a good experience. And I've I've never had depression, and so I'm not speaking from personal experience. But the people I do know who have been depressed, um, I, what I've heard them say, and again, it'd be good to hear from people, is that that is an overriding feeling of depression. It doesn't matter what good things are happening in your life or you're experiencing. Life just feels bad and unhappy. And and you can't shake that off, like the, mm-hmm. the black dog metaphor. So I wouldn't want MD to be listening to this and feeling what well, I feel at these people. And so is it just, you know, I, need, I don't know we've talked about this, but, you know, if, I, if I'm more holy, if I'm more considerate of my ways and then I'll be okay, but please don't do that. Please get help, you know, speak to your GP and speak to friends. And because God also gives us medicine and counselling and support and, and these come from him. And... I suppose it's what you were saying earlier, you know, about being trite. You know, if you're trite with with so many bits of the Bible, you can end up in really dangerous situations. Where you know, where I've heard of people I've known who whose mental health has been really poor, and they've been told by church leaders, eh, "Well, you're you're sinning even more by taking antidepressants." Yeah, don't don't even listen to that. You know, I, mm-hmm. I would be my that, that is not worthy of consideration. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's very helpful, Jen. Thank you. That that is very helpful. Uh, it was also making me think. Not, I don't mean this as a plug, but the job stuff. So the enter, enter the darkness yeah. stuff. As as I spent time in that book, there are no easy answers. It, it's not a slotty tab B thing at all. Um, yeah, yeah. Neil, any thoughts on on that? I'm just saying the second part of the Kate Bowler story is that she is diagnosed with bowel cancer, a uh, stage four. So. For her, in her case, um, looking not like she will get a cure, and she's she's still alive. Uh, she recently did a podcast, but I heard on the podcast she'd had bad news that day, so I, d- I don't know what that meant. But but like Jen, I mean, this is someone who's an expert in in gospel, who's studied theology, and she too is just desperately trying to make sense of of life. Um, I don't I don't know. I think. So for her thing is it's not everything happens for a reason, but everything still matters. There's there's still a yes. there's still a, a truth in that, and I think what she draws attention to me is, I think Jen's quite right. Anybody who says some of that stuff about depression and so on, absolutely, is just nonsense, you know. But it also exists in subtler ways. I think for many of us, so we don't have people saying really crude things about depression around us, but there's still a messaging about do the right thing and you'll have a fair life. And the reason that things are going wrong for you is you must have done something wrong. And I've asked that question. You know, when things don't quite work out in the church, is it because of me? Is it is it because of something that, that I've done? And that, that is problematized. But, but I'm still asking the question, what is it that Haggai is asking of us here? And it, it is something about, about living well, um, about attempting to live well where we are, and that that will resonate out in in some way that we can't we can't define. Um, Fiona and I have been Fiona and I have been listening to another podcast called "The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill." Have you been listening to it, Jen? I don't know oh, if you were. Oh, me too. Me too. Was that yes? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, just because Fiona, I, I hadn't realised. But there's a there's a story in the episode I listened to this week, which is about a church in Seattle headed up by a guy called Mark Driscoll, and it. In 2005, Mark Driscoll's church, mega church in Mars Hill, was was flourishing and booming, and he, but he had said a number of things about about women which were derogatory, which were 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 played out, and he was challenged by a couple of pastors in Seattle. And the, the story that we just heard was of um, two Episcopalian pastors go to challenge Mark Driscoll. And they are saying to him, do you not realize how your words impact on women in our in our city? And it, and his first response is, well, the women in my church were fine. And they were saying, well, yeah, but thousands of people listen to you on the internet and it has an impact with them. And also we're not terribly sure that it is fine for the people in your church. But the response that he kept giving again was, well, I have thousands in my church. I have tens of thousands of people coming to my church and your church, the Episcopalian church, is tiny. It's small. God is blessing me and God is not blessing you. So 
you're the ones who have got the problem here. And I think what's quite interesting is that Haggai chapter one asks a question about success. But Haggai chapter two then asks a question about how are you going about your life? Mm-hmm. And I think the two things do go together, those, those questions. It's not simply a case of being able to point to success and therefore I'm fine. The end justifies the means. Haggai is saying, examine carefully how you live. And yes, that text about cleanliness and purity, which also has its problems, will be undone by Jesus because Jesus will make holiness go in the other direction. He will touch the dead body. And instead of Jesus being contaminated, Jesus will cleanse the dead body so it becomes a living thing. Jesus will be touched by the woman with the issue of blood. And by the logic here, Jesus would become contaminated. But Jesus will cause the contamination to go in the other direction and he will purify. So there is a gospel to come which will undo some of the some of the problems of this text. But still the question is, Haggai is saying the how matters. The how matters. Yeah. And is there something about self-obsession? Mm. Like they had realistic problems, these people that Haggai is speaking to, but they'd become so focused on that they, they couldn't see anything else. And in relation to the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast, the most pertinent moment for me and challenged me as an individual was when someone, so people are looking, they're at an event and people are wanting Mark Driscoll's autograph and photograph, selfies with him and things. And somebody in the car la- laughs, oh, that's ridiculous. You know, you're a pastor. Why are people wanting your autograph? And Mark Driscoll says, don't you know I'm a big deal? And for me, is that the heart of the matter? And the challenge for all of us is when we begin to think that we're the big deal, that it's all about me, whether that's in how you're building your house or or not paying your taxes or or, or whatever else, or or leading a church, you know, it's, it's that that term, that corrective perspective um, and then in the next wee bit on in Haggai still in chapter one and the next message from God is that God's with you so is, if that's more of our perspective then we don't know what will happen in our lives but but that's that's a better way to better way to be yeah yeah that's shifted me on to, to think a wee bit about Zerubbabel mm. and Joshua <laughs> as well I'm kind of intrigued by them because they, they sort of pop up at this point don't they but but Zerubbabel in particular we hear of quite a lot in different books of the Old Testament yeah he's he's a kind of new Moses figure um who who leads the restoration of the land and in some ways he he disappears again um but yeah he he's there at the right time I'm, I'm thinking that for Haggai as well Haggai's career goes from August the 29th, 520, to December the 18th, 520. That's his, that's his um, what's that? Three months of fame, tops. Uh, that, But that's what he's needed for. And he, I don't know, he doesn't seem too bothered about that. Um, uh, Zerubbabel as well, he comes in and he plays his role in the moment. He also appears in the family tree of Jesus, which I, I always like. I'm also looking at Joshua, and just because I hadn't double-checked this, I think he appears in Zerechariah as well. I think Joshua the high priest. I'm going to double check that. I don't know if magic answers from Amy can check that one. But Joshua the high priest also appears in Zechariah. And he's shown as one who's who's been clean. He's going to be one who's rescued. And in some ways in that vision as well, it talks about my servant, the branch. He kind of points to Jesus, who has the same name as him. Of course, Jesus is Yeshua, the Lord saves. We were just laughing slightly, Neil, because... Um, Amy got it before you did. Oh, did she? Popped it in the chat. Oh, yes, I can see it now in the chat. <laughs> so, this, so it's Zechariah chapter 3, verses 1 to 10 for that reference for, for Joshua. So it's interesting, isn't it? So, so God God calls these particular men for a particular time. Yeah. Um, it's kind of and four of them, isn't it? There's Zechariah, Haggai, Zerubbabel, and Joshua kind of form mm-hmm. this kind of group of folks who are part mm-hmm. of the renewal of the temple. Yeah. Yeah, and um, I suppose we'll come back to all that when we talk about Nehemiah and the walls and things. That that, that thing of it's it's not about the one person, as you said there, Jen. It's not it's not about being a big deal. It's about the the community together, rebuilding. Yeah, and yeah, and so and that's that's the contrast with Haggai, as you say. He was only there for a short time, and he said a few things that God told him to say. But the things he said transformed the people. 
you know, mm. inspirationally and practically. Yeah, that totally regenerated folk at the right time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A word in season, which for <laughs> National Poetry Day, which is the day we're recording on, feels apt. <laughs> I feel I should write a poem this evening. Well, I already have. So what we're going to do is, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll round things off there. I wonder if there's any takeaways that that we have. I mean, I think we've we've, we've sort of put some of our takeaways out as we've spoken, actually. Yeah, it's the challenge thing, isn't it? It's the uh, because I I kind of I resist the kind of law of consequences thing. I don't like it, you know, when it says, um, "Oh, you're in trouble because you've been disobedient," or "Have you not taken?" I, I can resist that for all sorts of reasons, and many of them are biblical. But it still is a challenge to me to think, wh- where are you not thinking carefully? Where are you saying that the end justifies the means? What would If, if I met Hag- Haggai tomorrow, what would he say to me? What would his word in season be for me? Oof. Mm-hmm. That's my takeaway. Yeah, yeah, that's a good takeaway. Jen? Yeah, similar. I, th- I think if this reflecting that I've been doing on considering my ways, the reality is that if I don't consider my ways, um, the things I do and say will impact people for good or bad. We we know that. You know, I'm sure in my life I've severely damaged people by some things I've said. And I hope by some things I've said I've encouraged them and done the opposite. Or like my the way I use waste and resources could impact the planet. So it's all these kind of things. So if that is true for us, is it not in our day-to-day living, is it not also true in relationship with God, that there are things I could do and say that will damage what I, the the grace or the love I could have known from God. That I mean, that's what Neil's struggling with as well. But I think that is part of life, maybe. But it is very nuanced, and we can't just throw it out. We have to think carefully about it. <laughs> very good, very good. Yes, I'm going to give careful thought. I think that's that's my takeaway. And so it's picking up on both of both of your thoughts at the end there um giving careful thought to the to the how of how do and i think there's an opportunity actually as we emerge from what has been quite a restrictive season there's an opportunity Mm -hmm. to think how do i want to give careful thought to Mm. to what i do so i don't just rush straight back to do it but think about how i'm doing and there was there is lovely practical that wee bit in high guy when he tells him all this you know you need to give careful thought to your ways and and then go into the woods and get go into the forest I've actually your uh, clovers yeah. off, Neil. Go into the forest and get the wood. You know, it's like <laughs> there's a really practical response to yes. this. You know, you know, it could be for me stop binging television sometimes in the evening and do something that might be more productive for your person. Yeah, yeah. And it is. It's it's got to be a nuanced thing, hasn't it? Because mm. sorry, I feel I'm I'm now throwing back into the. This was meant to be the end, and I'm coming back into more conversation. But you know, there's been aspects of of the restricted lockdown life that were very healthy for me in terms of reducing mm. the amount of hours I was working and and the amount of you know things I was trying to cram in. Um, and actually, it's not wrong to say no to things. <laughs> so I think the danger sometimes with these kind of things is we think, oh well, I'll just I'll just you know serve 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 and actually that's the answer that's not that's also not what's being talked about here so maybe there's something there for me to go and think about well thank you both very much that's been um very interesting to talk about and a book of the bible i have to say i really had very little knowledge of prior to this conversation so that's been really interesting for me personally and jen do you have a gem for us of course i do the very start of haggai struck me where it says the lord said to haggai and I was left thinking, well, how on earth did that happen? You know, we we generally don't hear audible voices from God. It's not it's not how life goes. Um, so how did Haggai know what God was saying to him? I don't really have the answer to that. But it got me thinking about how we sometimes use these glib statements with young people and children when we're engaging with the Bible. And we just say, if you read the Bible, then God will speak to you. And really, it's not that easy. I, and we need to say that. And I remember talking to a, a, an eight-year-old one, at one point um, who said to me, you know, I just I just, I just, just want God to speak to me. I, I want God to speak to me like my mum and dad speak to me or my brother speaks to me. I, I want to hear his voice. And our use of the Bible with young people is vital in us all learning, but young people learning how you work out what God is saying. 
And I just this week, I read some research by the New Zealand Bible Society, who had done some research with young people in the Bible in 2006. And this was a kind of follow up from that. And they spoke to a number of young people aged 16 to 18. And one of the things that came out of that, you can get it on their website, you just need to send a wee email, they'll send you the research worth reading. But one of the things the young people were saying that had really eventually put them off the Bible was that it was so often presented in that kind of way, like a kind of self-help book. You know, God will speak through it. You'll get this verse and that verse. It'll help you know what to do, how to make decisions. And the research was saying, we, we need to stop doing that. And we need to make put in time and effort and space to sit together uh, with young people and with all ages together and do that wondering, reflecting, considering, meditating, and another wee plug uh, for the resources that are going with Out of the Darkness, they're using Lectio, um, which is a way of considering carefully the words of the Bible and what God might be saying to us. I think I've said this before, it's a really good thing with children and young people as well, because it, it teaches a skill of reading and reading and listening and then maybe discovering what God might be saying. So a challenge to not be glib about God will speak to us through the Bible and to make that time and effort and have a wee read of the New, New Zealand Bible Society's research that they've done with Bible engagement in young people. Fantastic. Thanks, Jen. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. We'll also put a link into An End to the Darkness, which is the podcast and the link to the resources that go along with that. Next time we are going to be speaking about Ezra 7 to 10. So we're going back into Ezra. We took a little time out to, to explore Haggai today. We'll be thinking about Ezra 7 to 10. So if you're reading ahead, then um, that's what you want to be doing. If you've got any questions about what you're reading, any questions you'd like us to address, then you can get in touch with us or generally anything you want to say. You know, join William in becoming one of our correspondents. Then you can do that, obviously, through outspoken at scottishbiblesociety.org probably preferable if they're related to the topic you know otherwise the podcast goes on for hours and hours uh, meanwhile it's time just to say thank you very much to neil and to jen it's been good to see you thank, thank you, you fiona. fiona thank you and uh, join us next time when we will be back in israel 